Hi, it's Katie here. I'm in Japan right now, leading one of my sold out Japan study trips. And I'm already getting excited about coming back in November with another cohort. I'd love to host you in Japan in November. It's an incredible opportunity to spend time with Toyota leader Isao Yoshino and learn from him and many other Japanese leaders about how to create cultures of excellence, plus, experience the amazing culture and food, and get an immersive week learning with other amazing leaders from around the world. It really is the trip of a lifetime. If you've ever thought of elevating your leadership to the next level, join me in Japan this November. I'm actively accepting applications now, and the trip is filling up rapidly. To learn more, Go to kbjanderson.com slash japantrip. Now, on to the show. What's your purpose as a continuous improvement leader? And how can you fulfill your potential to be a transformational change leader? Find out on this episode of Chain of Learning with my guest, Karen Martin. Welcome to Chain of Learning, where the links of leadership and learning unite. This is your connection for actionable strategies and practices to empower you to build a people centered learning culture. Get results and expand your impact so that you and your team can leave a lasting legacy. I'm your host and fellow learning enthusiast, Katie Anderson. Do you have a vision for creating a people centered learning culture in your organization and find yourself hitting walls when trying to influence the senior team to both share and act on this vision? It's not because something is wrong with you, your leaders, or your organization. It's because something is going very right, especially for you. You are stepping into a new role of a transformational change catalyst that is built on the expertise you have developed and honed as a technical expert or accomplished independent contributor. Now it's time to develop and hone this expertise as a change catalyst. If you're not super clear what I mean about being a transformational change catalyst, which I spell with a K, K K-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T, each letter representing eight essential competencies to become a transformational change leader. I unveiled the details two episodes ago, so if you missed it, be sure to check out episode nine of Chain of Learning for all the information. And if you want to better appreciate the difference between your formal role as a continuous improvement leader, either as a full-time practitioner or operational leader, and how to fulfill your potential in a bigger, more influential role that you're wanting to step into, then listen in to this episode with Karen Martin. I invited Karen a master operational excellence change leader to Chain of Learning to share with you her decades of experience in leading change and helping leaders create high-performing organizations. Karen is the president and founder of TKMG Academy, an online learning platform that provides courses on operations design, business performance improvement, and lean management, and is the founder of TKMG Inc. Karen has a master's in education and is a leading authority on business performance improvement, problem solving, and lean. Her clients have included Fortune 500 companies in nearly every industry and government agencies at local, state, and federal levels. She's also the author of many award-winning books, including Clarity First, The Outstanding Organization, and Value Stream Mapping. And Karen is a strong link in my own chain of learning, personally and professionally. Our conversation will inspire you to excellence in both your formal role that you were hired to do and the purpose of that role you are starting to see and wanting to step into. So to kick off our conversation, I thought we should start at the foundation, at the beginning, with purpose. I asked Karen how she defines and how she came to discover the real purpose of a transformational change leader. Without further ado, let's dive into Karen's answer. Yeah, it's such an important question, isn't it? it purpose, you know, it, it, it directs everything. It's, it's, you know, how we learn, it's how we behave, it's how we think. And to me, anyone that's involved with transformation, whether a full-time improvement professional or a leader that just has a real interest in and and passion for improvement and transformation of of any sort, it's about being a teacher and paying it forward and coaching and, and drawing it out of people so that they become higher potential. They are the ones that are higher performing. And I think all too often people think that, you know, especially people that are full-time improvement professionals think that they should be the experts in doing and and, and doing for others is a common thing I see. And that's not really what I believe our role in, you know, the improvement community for sure is. And same with a leader. A leader is not, their role is not to do 
for their employees it's, it's or team members. Uh, it's to help them develop and, and learn and, and become, you know, a higher version of themselves and a, and a more fulfilled version of themselves. This is where we have to pair our technical knowledge, regardless if it being an operational excellence practitioner or our technical knowledge that we've developed in our industry or our field and we've been promoted for when we step into that people leadership role, either as a coach or as an actual manager or leader, our role shifts, as you said, to about paying it forward. And this is really that core concept of a chain of learning. How do you pay it forward and keep helping other people learn to grow and improve as well? You work with so many organizations around the globe for decades. And what are you seeing as some of the challenges that change leaders have in really applying their expertise? Because we all have expertise, but really creating a sustainable learning organization that's going to like be there when they move on. One thing is, you know, do the leaders above them in the organization view that as their role? A lot of times we'll hear people get stuck into improvement professionals, especially get stuck in this place where the leader wants them to go and do for the team and, and go and do for the middle managers. And, and so if leaders are expecting that, then it's going to be tough for that person to really navigate out of that and, and put the teacher hat on and the developer hat on. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is, is that you have to love teaching. You have to love helping people develop. And if you, you know, want to hoard the information and keep it to yourself and become a doer, that's really not what I view the role of, of an improvement professional to be. And again, middle managers as well and director level and vice presidents and all of that. So I think that the environment needs to encourage that in the first place in order for it to have a chance of emerging. Yeah, I hear two things in what you just said in particular that stand out and resonate with sort of what I have experienced personally and observed in organizations is one, leaders or executives sort of wanting to hire a group of expert problem solvers as their continuous improvement, lean team, and the, just doing the doing and executing. And so that's even defining or the challenge and even contracting for what your role is. And then two, many people in those roles also not personally seeing that to really step into their influence and their true potential to be transformational change leaders, it's not just them being the expert and doing the doing. They, they also personally have to go through that transformation themselves. So it's like on two levels, what's the expectation from the executive team? And then how are they defining and shaping their true impact and role as well? Right. And, and there's actually a third prong too. I mean, someone in that role has to be pretty darn knowledgeable about the plethora of practices and principles and tools and methods and analyses, you know, that you can do in order to do that work. And so it's important for someone to, first of all, always learn, you know, never stop learning um, and always understand that no matter where you get your knowledge from, there's always more to be had and more to be gained. And so that appetite for learning and developing and also seek mentors, you know, seek people that will help you develop and, and help apply content that you're reading about or watching or whatever it might be in the real world so that you get stronger. So it's, I think, you know, I always say with confidence comes competence and you have to be knowledgeable to be confident and then to, you know, behave in a very competent manner. So appetite for learning is really critical. Absolutely. And it's both the appetite for learning and really grasping the technical side and the appetite for learning and practicing those social competencies that we've talked about and that I also go through um, in the last episode in my Catalyst Change Leader model, which we have to have both. We have to be great at executing on the work, and we also have to be great at creating those influence and the human dimension skills and the, the coaching and the teaching and all of that as well to truly be effective. Yeah, and this gets into, we, we talked a little bit about facilitator development and how does one, you know, wearing an improvement facilitator hat become the best darn facilitator that ever existed? And it's having the knowledge to pass on, and that's important, but then it's also knowing the right way to pass it on. So, you know, for example, if you're in, um, let's say that there's some kind of value stream mapping going on. You know, and let's say that I see very clearly a future state design idea that would very likely help a lot in with performance. You know, the last thing I'm going to do is say, how 
have you ever considered blah, blah, blah? You know, know, that's not what my job is initially. Initially, my job is to try to see if they can see it. Do they see it? You know, ask questions to get them seeing what you see. And then, you know, if you've really done a good job of asking and they're still not getting it, then you have to assess, do they maybe not even know about what that is? And then put on truly a teacher's hat and say, let me show you something that may work here, you know, and introduce it to them that way. Absolutely. I mean, you touched on sort of two two of the skills, you know, the, a skillful facilitator and being this transformational coaching leader. One, for it being a skillful facilitator, how are you guiding people through uh, a process of learning and getting to the outcomes? And then being a transformational coach is not it's, it's important to learn how to ask better questions and, and exactly what you said. How do we start with understanding where their current, you know, their current understanding is? Do they know or not know? And if they don't know, then how do we move into that teaching role? And I, I've seen, and you've talked about this before too, that a lot of times people start learning how to ask questions and then they see coaching as only asking questions, but there's actually a lot of other dimensions around that. How do we walk alongside people? How do we give feedback? How do we teach? And I think it was in the outstanding organization, I defined coaching as reflective coaching and directive coaching. And to me, reflective coaching is you're asking questions to get the person to reflect on what they likely already know. But then if you discover that they really don't know how to do something, then you move into directive coaching and at least you know teach them something that a uh, uh, practice or a tool or something that they can try and see if that's the, you know, the ticket for getting to the next step in whatever their whatever problem they're solving. Totally. And if you stay in that reflective coaching mode and people are really stuck and don't know how, then you stop being really helpful. That's like super frustrating for the other person, right? It's rude. Yeah, it's rude, right? <laughs> and the converse is true too that we often make the assumption people need us to teach them when actually if we held some space for it, ask some questions. They may have actually have that capability inside them. They just needed some good probing questions to get there. So we can't make assumptions on where people's skill or ability or in that moment is at. Uh, it, it's being flexible and then meeting them where they're at. Well, let, let's come back to the concept of facilitation later because I think there's some really great um, things we can explore about how people in these continuous improvement facilitator roles can even get better at that. But I want to go back to another question as you know, you've had over your years of experience, if you were to look back or you are, I'm asking you to look back on your career and what you have learned, what advice would you give to your younger self to, I guess, more effectively get to your discoveries faster? Yes. Good question. So I do think that there are many. Uh, One is I don't think I ever truly appreciated, and I certainly didn't appreciate it early enough, the importance of understanding how business actually works. You know, I was fortunate that I got to move around a lot in an operation. So I got to be on a sales team. I got to be in the marketing area. I actually got to be in the legal team. And, you know, I asked for those roles. And so getting to really understand business and and how it works is important, including and especially the financial aspects. You know, how does money actually flow? Does it flow? You know, where's the money coming in for the organization and even a nonprofit? You know, you've got to know where the money's coming in and you have to have enough money to pay for expenses and hopefully more than that so you can reinvest in the organization. So understanding business was something that I just didn't, you know, I started out as a scientist and so business wasn't even something I was gravitating toward and now I'm obsessed with business. And so it's interesting how that transition, once I started learning about business, I was like, oh, this is really fun. You know, I like this. So I think that's one thing. Yeah. Before you move on, I mean, I think that's so true. I mean, I came from academia. I was an academic researcher and you know, I think it's interesting. I run my own business now, but I, I realized I had a similar realization that to be effective once I'd moved into consulting roles, that I had to understand more of like <laughs> the business aspects. How has being able to speak the language of business or be what I call a knowledgeable business expert help you in an internal or external consulting role and speaking that language that that executives? you know, understand, like they need business results. So how has that been helpful for you? And why is that some advice you'd give for your younger self? Instant credibility. 
you know, when you're able to speak someone's language and use terminology in the correct way that they're using and be able to demonstrate that you understand the pressures, for example, and those types of things, you know, it's, it's just instant credibility. And when you get instant credibility, then someone's going to give you a little more you know, latitude to do more. So then you can grow more as a professional and it, it becomes this, you know, really lovely feeding machine. And so it's critical. And you know, I think you just start by going in and talking to executives, asking for meetings, asking them questions about the business, asking them what the financial pressures are, asking them how revenue is actually brought into the organization. Most people don't even know where all the, the variety of revenue streams coming into an organization. And so seek, seek, seek. Yes. And you've shared with me like you're one of the executives you worked with gave you a book and said, read this. And you're like, whoa, it opened your eyes and yeah. fill the gaps and the knowledge and the skills that you have across these different dimensions so that you can step into that full potential and, and grow, not just in the small area of expertise you have initially, but but broader. Well, yeah. And, and if I can add, it's not just me, you know, I, I was really excited to learn all this. And, you know, I felt like it really opened my eyes to how improvement really does help business. But I was in a Starbucks and there were these two young women sitting at a table and they were all like very excited and I couldn't really hear them. I was over you know, ordering my coffee. But then the barista, you know, the place where you stand to get your coffee was right near where they were sitting. And so I was kind of like eavesdropping a little bit and listening in. And the one woman was relaying this uh, situation where she was I don't know if the CFO invited her in or what, how it happened, but somehow she got into a conversation with the CFO, chief financial officer at her company. And she was explaining to the other woman, you know, I learned so much about how the money comes in and what did that, and I didn't even know what revenue meant. And I didn't know what difference, what, what sales was versus revenue and pre-tax and post-tax. And she was so excited. And, you know, I think the more you know, you know, the more you do get excited about the world that we're in. It's it's, it's a complex world, but it's fun. It is. And, you know, as you're talking, it, it, it sparked another thought in my mind, too. It's not that you know, any of us have to become full experts in all areas of the business. But if you're going to be coaching executives uh, at any or, or leaders at any level, and that's it doesn't matter if you're in a role called coach or if you're working together as you know a, a management team. To be able to ask those provocative questions that relate to the business so you have some understanding so that it helps other, maybe helps them think in a different way. So you're not taking over again. You're not always just telling them what to do, but you're asking those provocative questions because you have a baseline understanding of how business works and the results that matter um, is a super important skill as you get, especially as you get more senior in working with more executive levels as a coach or an external consultant as well. Yeah. And you need to seek out facilitation opportunities in various parts of the company, because when you're facilitating, you're learning a lot about processes and the environment and things like that. And I'll never forget the first time I facilitated a product development team. And I was scared to death because I had done product development on the health insurance side of things, but this was a manufacturing product. And I, I was very nervous. And one of the things I learned, or I, or I thought I learned, and I was like, mm, I'm not sure about this, let's see, was that there's a propensity in some organizations when there's technical capability to engineer something, there's a propensity in some organizations to build it and then fling it into the marketing area and hope that they, in the sales area, and hope that they can sell it. And I thought, eh, that can't be, that, that, this must be just this organization. And I saw it over and over and over to where it's now a pattern that I see where there are a lot of products being developed that they really haven't tested to see if the market has any appetite for it. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of money and a lot of time, you know, to get a product out there that ultimately very often pops. And so, but that's, you know, knowing that and knowing that that's a, a propensity, then as a facilitator, you can start kind of poking a little bit and, and asking better questions that get people focused in a little more on, well, should we really be doing this? You know, that type of thing. Also, because of the unique role uh, and nature of the role of working across the organization, I think we start to see the systems connections outside of maybe functional silos that maybe leaders sometimes unintentionally get, get trapped in. Like, I'm a finance person, so I'm looking here or I'm looking at this segment of operations. But you start to see everything. So how can you help the leaders 
make those connections and, and pose those questions too, so that they're the kind of more eyes wide open on the, the impact of the whole system. Yeah, that's where value stream thinking and value stream mapping and value stream, you know, everything um, is really helpful in helping leaders make those connections. Because, you know, the one thing about value streams is we find that there's hardly ever one leader in an organization that can describe with any level of accuracy how they actually deliver value to a customer. The actual you know, steps that the work goes flows through from some sort of request to delivering on that request. And when you've got not one leader who can explain that even you know, really high level, that's a problem. Imagine the decisions that are being made with that lack. You know, that they don't understand that. So, you know, the more you can do value stream work, also the more knowledgeable you can become about all the different pieces that go together to make a company soar or not. Absolutely. And for our listeners who maybe don't know what value stream mapping is, how would you, I guess, have a quick summary of the difference of value stream mapping versus, say, looking at a process map that maybe people are more familiar with? Value streams are a holistic work system at a high level where work is being passed through many, many different parts of an organization. And there's you know, enterprise-wide value streams, and then there are smaller value streams. And there are also customer-facing value streams and internal-facing value streams, like the hiring process, for example, hiring value stream. So it's this looking at the flow of work through all these handoffs. They tend to be longer in duration, and they tend to have more hands in the pot than a process is. And you need process level views when you're in a document standard work, for example, but you need value stream views in order to prioritize what needs to happen across the entire work stream, the, the whole system to get work to flow more easily. Absolutely. So also the interconnection of information flow and material flow and all through creating value for a customer on like one particular product or service. So it's just a different way of actually seeing that system level interconnection um, so again, you know, we're talking about, so you need to have that technical side of how do you do these things, but then the social competencies of how to communicate that information and, and get people to see and get bought into the different elements of how that might work. When we were reflecting, uh, for you earlier, Karen, you shared sort of two key areas that were, that were sort of, that you'd recommend to yourself. That first was really understand like the the business, speak the language of the business, understand the financials and those drivers for executives. And then you said another, um, which is really around the people system, like psychology and behaviors. So speak to me more about what would you recommend or share with your younger self about why that's so critical to really becoming an effective leader or change leader? I think we fight human nature a lot and it, and it doesn't serve anyone well. We fight how people are wired. We fight, you know, how people have a soul and a heart. And we often criticize people and blame people when they have, for example, resistance to an idea. You know, resistance is a great opportunity to find out what's really going on psychologically, what's going on. I'm not, you know, saying we have to have PhD in psychology or anything like that. It's, it's just, you know, being present and sensing what's going on and then asking questions about that to find out why someone's resisting. And most of the time when you probe, you'll find out they're right. There is something wrong with what's going on that maybe no one else is articulating. And maybe, maybe if someone's a complainer, they're not very effective in dealing with what they see, but it doesn't mean they aren't right at what they see. And um, I find that a lot, that, that someone who's a complainer and a resistor is often onto something. And so I am I like, when I hear someone is not going to be a good team player because they're you know always resistant or always complaining, I'm like, bring them on. I want them on the team, on the team now. <laughs> well, right. And highlighting the things that maybe people, other people aren't seeing. And also if you get that person, bring them along the journey and then they're really bought in because they played a role in creating the solution or the the next steps, they are going to be a much bigger champion. Huge. And as you said too, like I, I always think like there's a there's some reason if I hate I don't like calling people resistors. Like there's a reason, there's something going on why this change isn't feeling good. And so being able to understand that change process for people is a really important 
skill in being able to influence change and bring people along and, and the whole process on, on that as well. So yeah, sometimes people resist change because what they have seen is change isn't an improvement. It's just change, you know, and, and that, that's not very helpful to have just change, you know? So, uh, so again, back to they're often right. (laughs) Right. So these human skills that we have to pair with our technical skills, and we definitely need both to really, to be effective. One of the things you and I talked about is that we can't forget, though, you know, as operational excellence practitioners and enthusiasts about at the end of the day, businesses and their leaders need and want to get results. And so we see developing people as the way to get results. But sometimes we either just focus on the results or focusing just on developing people. How do you think about this balance or tension between getting results and developing people? It's about getting results, but you can't get consistently good results if you're not developing your people. You won't attract top talent. You won't retain top talent. You know, you in order to build this high performing workforce, you have to have the environment for people that are top performers to want to be in. (laughs) And so it is about getting results. It's about delivering value to customers. I mean, that, that's what I saw this on LinkedIn over the weekend. Lean is about developing people. No, it's not. That's one element toward getting results. It's, it's about getting results and delivering value to customers. And people development is the means to that end. And, um, and building strong problem-solving capabilities and all those things that make people come into work buzzing with excitement because they're there and buzzing when they leave because of these great days they had, you know, applying what they learn and, and learning more. There's no reason not to have that. I mean, that that is absolutely doable. And, and then it becomes a win-win-win for employees, customers, and shareholders. And leaders can sleep at night too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And we all want to work in an environment that feels good, but we need to be aligned in what we're trying to achieve. And, and ideally, the results are driven, as we know, about value as defined by the customer uh, as well. You know, Toyota's model, one of their motto uh, is we make people so that we make cars or we make people while we make cars. It's like the focus is we make people, but it's the result so that we can deliver the results that we need for our customers. And so we can't forget either side of that equation and we can't just focus on results like so myopically that we forget about people as well. So that, that's a horrible place. That's a horrible environment. I don't want to work in that environment when it's just about results and no one, no one cares about developing me. You know, that's, that's horrible. So yeah, it's, but it, I, I think, you know, the chicken and the egg is important to keep in mind here that, that, you know, developing the people comes before you can actually create the thing that you're actually trying to go after. Exactly. So know where you need to go and focus on developing the people and you will more effectively get to there or achieve the thing that you need to do. In parallel, at the same time, develop the people through the work. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I talk about how the advice that Mr. Asao Yoshino gave me, and this is in my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, a leader's role is to set the direction, like what are the results we need or the, the things we need to achieve? And then provide support, which is developing people so that they can get there. And then develop yourself as well, which is you've talked about is the importance of being a lifelong learner. I want to shift into you and I uh, of talking about continuous improvement, change teams, uh, not just the executive leader too, but we've worked, both of us, with a lot of different organizations, different industries around the world and have different configurations of how people are setting up building internal capability for leading improvement. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you have been observing recently that have been effective? And what are some of the gaps that you're starting to see in how change is happening or these like these lean or continuous improvement cultures are being led internally? Well, so let's talk about some of the things that I find aren't effective first. Um, I don't think it's effective to, you know, put people into a certificate program uh, with a project 
and have them come out and expect them to be able to perform at high levels. And I think the there's been, you know, decades of that being some sort of model for developing people. You know, you put them in, you know, some sort of a program, whether it's a belt program or another program. And by the way, we used to offer a lean certificate program that we delivered on site. And I quickly stopped it uh, when I saw that, you know, 24 people in a classroom you know, six months later, weren't applying any of it because the organization wasn't ready for it. They didn't have the infrastructure and the environmental leaders weren't engaged and all kinds of reasons why those people didn't, you know, really get to apply what they were learning. And so, you know, knowledge is, is the first step for sure, but applications when you start really building your, your skill set. And then the other thing that was happening or is happening still is People go through a program and they get like this much of what you need to know to be effective. And that doesn't negate that. that that's a good start. But a lot of people stop and a lot of organizations think that's it. And then leaders wonder why the people aren't able to perform. And then they start kind of sort of blaming the team. And then, you know, we're seeing actually a fair amount. And you and I've talked about this. There's shockingly high numbers of improvement professionals being laid off right now. And, you know, when people are laid off, it's generally because leaders aren't seeing the value. And, um, and it's not that the people don't have value. It's that there, there's a variety of reasons why they're not able to provide the value that would otherwise keep them employed. I, I've observed the same thing. And I think there's a, like a false sense of how much skill has been developed through a introductory sort of belt type of program. And it's not teaching with all the other influence skills you need to really keep, you know, both the technical skills and those social competencies to grow and really be leading change. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're still dealing with the, the long path uh, when lean, you know, became popularized in the United States. It was through the prism of tools. I mean, everyone gravitated to that. And, and I mean, when you look at the indexes of some of the early lean books, there weren't even words like leadership culture. <laughs> you know, like that, those words weren't even in the index. We're, we're getting better. You know, the problem solving movement with the A3 books that came out and then Kata and with the understanding that leadership, you know, development is a big part of it and culture is a big part of it. And we're getting there. But it's still, we're still, I think, dealing with the, the beginning days where it was about technical capabilities and not that social. What's Jeffrey like recall with the social? Um, Is it the socio-technical system or? Yeah, that's it. Phew. <laughs> yeah, that, I love that term. It's such a great, it's so apt. You know, it, it's the perfect term to describe what it is that we're building. Right. And it speaks to what we've been talking about here today. It, you need the technical side and the social side together, which are going to help you achieve results by developing people. Something else you and I've talked about, uh, and I think this goes, I know this goes back to sort of how uh, some of the challenges and how lean and continuous improvement was being introduced, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And certainly it was my experience of doing a lot of Kaizen or rapid process improvement workshops. So one week workshops where a consultant would come in and either train the internal team or lead this, bring in a you know multidisciplinary team together to work on a problem and then they have output. And that was certainly how I was trained and developed. And we saw some gaps in that because then like there was no follow-up. <laughs> there, you know, there was no coaching and follow-up. But it also had some benefits that maybe with I feel like there's been a pivot away in many organizations from doing extended day improvement events as well, because that was also a, a training opportunity, a learning opportunity for internal facilitators. What have you been observing around that? And I can share some, some thoughts as well. So Mike Westerling and I wrote the Kaizen at Planner. It was published in 2007. I remember getting that when I was learning. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad we helped you in some way. Yes. The, you know, the problem with Kaizen events, as you've articulated, is that I'll, I almost call it a fake universe. And, and what I mean by that is it's not the real workday. You know, people are sequestered. They're focused. There aren't interruptions, you know, if you if you run them the right way. And but yet you're able to get a lot done because of that. Then what would happen with Kaizen events is people go back into the regular work environment and they didn't have that environment. And then they just got sucked into the dysfunction of organizations and weren't able to apply what they learned. So it was almost worse than not exposing them to that excitement and euphoria at all, because then they get really deflated going back into the, the regular world. So 
you know, the way to use Kaizen events effectively is to make sure it's running in parallel of developing the, you know, the organization so that people are able to start getting better and better at making improvement part of the daily work and not require a five-day Kaizen. Remember, five-day Kaizen events were developed by consultants. Yes, it was easy. <laughs> Come in for the week. Fly in, yeah. fly out, five days. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's not tremendous value. Now, we don't do five days anymore. It's just a little too much for most. We usually do three to four. But we are starting to do more now. We also stopped doing them for a while. Not entirely, but very limited, but we're starting to do more now because we're able to work with organizations in getting the, the whole vibe of the organization ready to support that kind of work. And they're still the best thing I've ever experienced in all my years of, of business for getting people to sit down together and look at a process cross-functionally, understand each other's worlds, understand the decisions that they've been making that have been very adverse to the people downstream or upstream that are you know in the system. And it, there, there's just nothing like it to achieving some of those types of, of benefits. I completely agree with you that if you have these offline, as I say, like events, you can get a lot of improvement and they so much excitement. But if you don't also have the development of the management systems and coaching for people on how to implement and sustain and continuously improve, it's going to fail. So you have to have these in parallel. But I also see pivoting away. And a lot of my clients and other organizations that I work with have been telling me they've almost completely moved away from doing any kind of focused improvement uh, work. So that offline, it's like just a few hours, maybe here or there. And I feel I feel like there's a few things missing. One, that energy of coming together as a team, of having that focused time. If you really want innovation, you, sometimes you need that focused time outside of the work, that engagement. And also as a development opportunity for your internal change team and facilitators. If I If I think back to my own pathway, I was paired at first with and I was really lucky. So I was one of the sort of fire starters for lean at the hospital system I was working at. And so I was chosen as the first internal facilitator, or, you know, coach to be trained, which is like a blessing in my in my own career. But I was paired and it was a series. It was like five workshops. First, it was observe one and then work in partnership. The last one was observation. And I was in, in, in parallel with them teaching me the technical side about how I look at process and then how I, you know, I'm looking at all that. I was learning how to work a room, how to create a project charter, how to do all that facilitation and influence and all of those social competencies. And a lot of the organizations I work with now, I don't, some of their executive leaders are saying they don't have that. And like, so people are coming in and still just trying to do their best work, which is great. And I was, you know, I totally understand that, but we're missing like a development opportunity for those social capabilities that are really going to create transformational change leaders and move just from that technical side to leading change. So I, I, I'm curious on, for those of you listening, what, what's going on in your organization? What are the challenges and things that you're being enablers for really creating internal capability for people in change leadership roles and for managers and, and executives too to lead these change. Well there's a practical side of it as well that I think is important to acknowledge is that you know when you have people that are getting together periodically to work on a problem or make some sort of improvement, there's that whole ra mental ramp up period that you have to go through in order to get your head back where you where the team was whenever you met the first time or the previous time. And that is a form of task switching. And so you lose all that momentum that you get in a Kaizen event or a rapid improvement event because you're moving from day to day and you're still focused on the same thing. And so it takes so much longer to get results. So you're missing out on the development, to your point. You're not getting as good of results. It's taking too long. There's a time and a place for these kinds of multi-day focused improvement. And it's an important technique. Absolutely. So I'm not advocating for like going back and just only running Kaizen events, but I, I I would like us all to consider like where can doing some of that offline focused work be an enabler for learning and change and seeing it as a development pathway for people as well so that you're like partnering and developing those skills. Yeah. You know, I just had a situation with a prospective client where we were talking about value stream mapping and it was, you know, a very big value stream. So it absolutely took at least three days, if not four, it would have to do it. And they just were like, we can't give that time. 
And I you know, tried to get them to see that they're already spending that time times 100 because of the problems in the value stream that they deal with day in and day out that are recurring, that aren't going away. And that they're, you know, they're spending well more than three days worth of time over and over and over with the systems problems that they've got. But I was unsuccessful. And so they said, you know, basically they wanted to, you know, meet once a week for a period of time and fly me in once a week and all that stuff. And I said, not only will I not do it just logistically, but it's not the right way for you to take a look at your value stream. It's just not. You, you're, you're not going to gain from this work the way you would if we just spent three days together. And what you just shared too is an important skill for all of us to learn too, is like, how do you speak to leaders to be able to say this, you know, I'm also a trusted advisor and this is not the right way and to have that influence to say, not just go and do it because that's what someone wants, but like, I'm also in an advisory role where I'm giving you my expertise on how to do this. Yeah. And it's a hard call when you're internal, you know, it's a, it's a, a harder, I guess I should say call when you're internal because, you know, it's people always are afraid that they're going to be known as the difficult person or, you know, whatever it might be. But, you know, if you're being judged on results and you are, <laughs> you know, then you need to get results, you know, so that you can be judged in a really good way. And so you have to be able to lobby, advocate, you know, whatever it is for the right combination of people and days and focus and what the charter is and metrics and all that stuff. You have to be able to advocate for that. I want to just put in one comment around the Kaizen events and follow up what you just said, because it reminded me of something you shared recently with me. But on the Kaizen events, I, I think it's really interesting. GE with Larry Culp's leadership has talked a lot about how they've really been focusing on the strategy of having these focused improvement events as a way to teach people the skills. And then, of course, you need the follow-up and coaching. Um, and I talked about this with some of their executive transformational leaders in my um, episode six, Inside the Lead Mindset. And, and I just, it's been a lot in the, in the papers recently about GE's turnaround and how they've been using lean to do this and how important having some focused improvement events has been not the only strategy, but at really seeing it as a way to bring people together. Karen, you shared an example recently, you know, a client that you'd worked with that where, you know, the leader was like, yeah, man, I, I just need these results and need them fast. Yeah. But you're like, oh, okay, I got to work on that. So I got to speak the language that the executive needs. But you knew that also the way to get there was, was to do these other things. So I, it's just a, I think it's a really important skill that like you see this vision for what's actually needed, but the, also there's the thing right in front of them that they need. But the bigger thing is actually going to be what's going to achieve the greater success. So how, you know, how, how did you approach that situation and or this one or in the past? Well, so as an outsider, that particular situation, I was able to quickly help him see that if you know, we just go and do it and just jam results out of a team, that that's not going to build any skill sets amongst the team. And that what, what actually is better is building the skill sets as we're going. It may take a little bit longer, just a little bit, not a lot, a little bit longer to get there because they're learning. But ultimately, then I go away. And so he liked that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we got to work ourselves out of a job. That is we the- We have to work ourselves out of a job. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that is everyone's job, including internal people. And so, you know, so, and then aspire to something else, you know, when, once you work yourself out of the job, but, but he likes that for internal people, I think it's also important for them to constantly be lobbying and advocating for, we are developing people. So we don't have to keep doing these five day Kaizen events or four day Kaizen events. You know, they'll, we'll just be so cross-functionally wired that, and we will be so good at surfacing problems that we'll just be able to start solving problems cross-functionally. And that'll be how we operate. It will be our way. You know, I think you can just use the same logic, you know, whether internal or external, to get people to see the value in the people side of the people development side of, of things. Businesses can't get results without people. I mean, they don't just fall out of the sky. So um, you might as well train them to do good work and, and develop them. And yeah, we need people at all levels to be capable and confident of solving problems at the right level and doing it while doing the work, right? And like, so making improvements, developing people while we do the work. And there will always be times where we have to pull, like come off to, you know, 
whether or not you call it a Kaizen event or it's just a focused brain power on working on a problem or initiative. But the goal is ultimately having that be truly leader led where you don't have to have this whole cadre of external or internal or external people coming in to do it. They have the capability. Maybe there's a few a few people sort of leading the charge and the thinking to keep the continuity there. But that transfer of knowledge, which is where we started off on the purpose of change leaders, is about creating the capabilities across the organization for solving problems, for aligning on strategy, for leading and teaching as well. So both understanding the technical side and, and that social side too. Right. It's so critical. Karen, you started the TKMG Academy a few years ago. And what are some of the observations you have about the, the topics that people are really interested in and in, in filling their skill set? And, and any, I guess, observations you have, too, that would be helpful, they'd be interesting for our audience here? Yeah. So one of the things that I did not see coming was how I call it juicy, like when there's lots and lots of fodder in, in things to learn. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be so juicy because we have so many organizations that are using our services. When we were, you know, when I was only consulting, you know, we might have six big clients a year because most of our engagements are longer. And so we'd get, I get six data points about what they're doing internally and how it's working. And yes, I did it for a long time. So I got six times blah, 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 years that I, that I was doing only consulting, but now I've got hundreds, soon to be thousands, you know, of people that we're talking with. And we do a lot of, of um, gratis coaching. We do paid coaching as well, but we do a lot of gratis coaching just to help them understand what we offer and how to help them achieve whatever it is that they want to do. So getting a lot of data points. And one of the things that I you know, still see a lot of is organizations not valuing developing people, not wanting to spend the budget on it, not wanting to invest in people. And that's heartbreaking. But those that are taking it seriously are getting tremendous results. And by taking it seriously, it isn't just, you know, offering a library of courses to people and then let them be self-directed learners. Because, you know, the reality is a lot of people are not self-directed learners. But when you direct people to learn in a way that's tied to real world needs and real world work, and they're able to get the cognitive development and then go and apply, I mean, that's just, you know, magic in terms of building capabilities. So you know, those are the clients that are really fun to work with because you see all this tremendous growth happening and uh, the results speak for themselves. So um, I, love, I love that part of it. I, I, you know, when I hear an organization saying, yeah, no, you know, we don't, we don't really do much in terms of training or developing our people, then yeah, yeah I just... Well, how likely are they going to get the results that they need on a sustained way? They're not focusing on developing right. their people to get results. Yeah. You know what someone told me once, this really wise, lean old geezer that um, is long, long retired now. He said, you know, Karen, there's a reason why dinosaurs don't exist anymore. <laughs> and it's because... They, they became extinct because they weren't able to adapt. So <laughs> yes, we all have to grow and adapt and be these lifelong learners. And then how do we grow that chain of learning across our organizations so that we have innovation and continuous improvement to stay ahead of the time and, and thrive? I mean, that's what that's what we all want and need. Yeah. And you know, one, one last thing that that just sparked for me, there's nothing more exciting than seeing a light bulb go on. You know, it's just like, oh, you know, when someone gets it and, and they're, and they get excited. I mean, I don't know anyone that finds learning of something that they're interested in a downer. Like, I don't want to learn. <laughs> so, no, I don't see that, you know? Sometimes people haven't been given the space or the opportunity to learn or contribute. I have to say that is what got me so excited and fired up when I first switched uh, roles into moving into a more of a continuous improvement facilitator role leading the first, it was first leading those Kaizen events, but then it morphed more like just the direct coaching or helping, helping people see things like just even the workshops I'm leading for clients right now to help, you know, understand those leadership capabilities and like eyeballs lighting up. They're like, Oh, I understand that. I'm going to be so much more effective. It's these small, it can be small changes that we make yeah, or the big transformational things too, but it, it gets me excited. That's where my passion comes from as well. And, you know, healing people's day-to-day -day existence in a, in a positive way. So that our leader standard, back to your question, our leader standard work 
course is the number one seller. And I get the most feedback from people, maybe because it's the, the biggest seller. It's the, the emotion that you hear from leaders saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much for helping me see what was wrong with my daily life and what I can be doing and should be doing that's more supportive of the team and how that helps us get results. And like they, that, that excitement, that, that buzz, like, you know, it's just, it, it's addictive, <laughs> that buzz of seeing people get excited. Yes. And that is our purpose, right? Truly as leaders and as change leaders, going back to where we started, right? It's about creating that spark and that capability to learn and contribute um, and move us. Our expertise becomes how to do that um, and how to pass on that knowledge and that skills. And so it's not just moving from the doing the improvement work itself, but creating that passion and the capability for everyone to do that improvement. Yeah, we're spreading joy. Oh, Spreading joy while getting results. I mean, what could be better? Yeah. Well, thank you, Karen Martin, for being here today on Chain of Learning. It, we have so much more we can talk about. I'd love for you to come back um, in the future. How can listeners get in touch with you or learn more about TKMG Academy or other work that you do? So TKMG, it used to be the Karen Martin Group. That happened, that sometimes helps people go, what TK, the Karen Martin Group, TKMGacademy.com. Also, the consulting side is tkmg.com. So that's probably the easiest. And LinkedIn, I'm Karen Martin Opex. And we also have both, both companies have a LinkedIn page as well. So that's probably the best. I, I'm not doing X so much anymore. I left Facebook a while ago. I'm, not, I'm still on there, but I'm not doing much. So, And I've never been a TikTok or, or Insta person. So, <laughs> Well, we'll put all the links Karen just mentioned in the show notes. And uh, be sure to go to the episode full page because we'll have additional resources there as well. So thank you, Karen, for joining me here on Chain of Learning. It was just wonderful. Thank you so much. Being an operational excellence change leader is first and foremost about being great at the job you were hired to do, to get results and to drive change. But to step into your full potential as a transformational change leader, you have to do more than focus on you delivering the results. As Karen and I started off this episode, your bigger purpose as a change leader is about being a teacher, about paying it forward so that others can reach a higher potential. It's about mastering the influence and social skills to do so and help others do the same. It's about spreading joy and making the world a better place. This is what a chain of learning is all about. In our conversation, Karen and I touched on many of the critical competencies that will enable you to realize your potential as a transformational change leader, all of which are part of my Catalyst Change Leader model that I described in episode nine, including competencies like being a knowledgeable business expert, a lifelong learning enthusiast, a skillful facilitator, and an analytical systems thinker, and more. If you haven't downloaded my Catalyst self-assessment yet, go do so now. The links are in the show notes for this episode, or you can go directly to kbjanderson.com slash catalyst with a K. And also go back to listen into episode nine of this podcast to learn more about each of the competencies. So reflect on this episode with Karen and go through the Catalyst self-assessment to determine the competencies that are your strengths and which are the ones that you need to work on to move into your full potential. On the episode webpage, I'm also going to link to some other helpful resources for you, including my interview several years ago with Karen about her book, Clarity First, and links to other resources mentioned in this episode. Go to chainoflearning.com slash 11. As Karen and I highlighted in our conversation, we all need mentors and coaches to help us develop. I encourage you too to seek out your own mentors and coaches, formally and informally, who can help you grow and achieve even greater potential. And if you need outside support for yourself or your leaders from someone like me, I'd be happy to help. I love supporting change leaders and executives like you to fulfill your purpose and create a thriving, people-centered, high-performing organization. You can learn more about my trusted advisor, coaching, and learning experiences on my website, kbjanderson.com. And the link is also in the show notes. Be sure to follow and subscribe now and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can all strengthen our chain of learning together. In upcoming episodes, we'll be diving into more tangible practices and strategies to help you continue to step into your leadership potential. If you're enjoying the podcast too, please rate and review Chain of Learning on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for being a link in my chain of learning today. See you next time. Until then, have a great day and keep learning.
A quick reminder, if you enjoyed this show and want to elevate your leadership, don't miss out on the opportunity to join me in Japan in November for an immersive week of leadership learning, culture, and connections that will last a lifetime. I'm thrilled to be in Japan this week to lead the May 2024 cohort of my Japan study trips and can't wait to return in November, hopefully with you and maybe some of your leaders too. Limited spaces are still available, so submit your application today. kbjanderson.com slash japantrip.